You're listening to the North Canton Chapel Podcast. Thank you for joining us today. The North Canton Chapel exists to make much of Jesus every day to everyone. It's our prayer that this podcast will equip you to do just that. We believe that there's nothing like the church united together in gospel community. We'd love if you'd stop in and say hello in person if you're in our neighborhood. Our gathering times are at 9 and 10.30 a.m. Thank you again for joining us today. Let's listen in. Well, good morning. Like, I could go home right now. I'm full. I'm good. Just let me just speak Jesus. 17 minutes on repeat. I'm happy. Glad you guys are here this morning. Um, We told you a little bit ago that this is a morning that's a little bit different than every other morning here at North Canton Chapel. This Sunday's a little bit different. Uh, This is kind of like a little bit of a family moment. Uh, These are family times we come to once a year called We Are NCC. And um, literally, it's a family dinner out there after a little bit. We spend time together in here. And it's a little bit different in the sense that the message isn't a normal sermon in the sense that you might be used to. Uh, We just talk a little bit differently about what's happening in the life of our church and who we are and where we're going. And so that's where we're going to be for the next half hour or so. So first, a quick story. I think that um, connection drives direction. What I mean by that is maybe you're here at North Canton Chapel, maybe you've been here for a while, and you're asking questions like, well, where are we going? What are we chasing after? What's the next hill? Like, where's God got us pointed? We'll get to that, but my answer first is connection drives direction. Here's what I mean. I remember when I met Mandy for the first time. Uh, we were at Moody Bible Institute. It was like my second day on campus, and I knew that day. No, I didn't. I kind of knew. She was sitting under an archway, and she was serving orange juice and donuts to incoming freshmen, of which I was one, and we were headed out for an orchestra retreat. She played violin, and I played saxophone at the time, and um, so we were about to head out with the band and go do this thing, and so she served me a glass of orange juice. Um, She's wearing a white sweatshirt. I remember it, and I was going, something about her. So we dated off and on, more my immaturity than anything else, like most 18 to 20-year-olds. You just don't have it all together yet. She's so patient, she stuck with me, and of course now we're married for 19 years. We've been in three churches, we have three kids. God's just been really great for us, and uh, maybe you have a similar story. The point is, connection drives direction. What I didn't do on that day is I took that glass of orange juice or that donut from Mandy and said, hey, I want to be a pastor one day, here's where I want to go, here's what I want to do, here's everything that's out there, here's my big vision in life, you want to join me. I'm going to spook her a little bit. Direction is important, absolutely, but connection comes first. It's true relationally, it's also true in churches. And so, here's the trouble, though. Within the last three years or so, North Canton Chapel, about 60%, at our best guess, is 60% of people who are here at North Canton Chapel weren't here like five, seven years ago. And you can talk about COVID, you can talk about politics, you can talk about a pastor change, all that kind of stuff. What that means, though, is when we look in the mirror, we got to go, well, who are we? Who are we is way more important right now than where we are going. We'll get to that, but understanding connection, understanding who we are has to happen first. And so that's a lot of what this morning is going to be. Quick little announcement before we get into anything else. Hopefully you got one of these booklets when you came in this morning. Um, If you did not, you're going to need it. So could you shoot your hand up really quick? We've got people in the back who've got some spares. Of course, it's everybody right up front. Awesome, super cool. Keep your hand up until they give you a booklet. You're going to need one. Um, We've got like 3,000 of these things, so don't feel bashful, okay? This isn't like one per household. Uh, We really want you to have one. So keep your hand up until, uh, until you get one. 
We created this little booklet, especially for We Are NCC this year and for our Membership Matters process coming up. We've got a few up here, and we've handed them out. Awesome. And um, we're going to walk through this a little bit this morning. Um, here's the story. Back in January, we sent out a survey uh, to a lot of you. Um, there was, I think, gosh, like 20% of our church was able to contribute to this thing. And we asked questions. Basically, what makes North Canton Chapel North Canton Chapel? Like, what is this place? What makes this place unique? Not better than any other church necessarily, but what makes this place us? Like, what, what really is here? Why are you here? How'd you get here? What's important to you here? And it led to a lot of really great conversations. It was a lot of data. I got like binders full of stuff that then we took. And this right here is basically the fruit of all of that research. And I want to walk you through it. It was so encouraging for me as your pastor. It was so encouraging as our staff as we walked through these comments and these thoughts. Um, it was really, really something special. And so I just want to tell you what we found. Um, before we get into it, though, this really isn't coming from my head or the head of any staff member here. This is really just naming what's already in the atmosphere. The words in, in this book, and maybe as you walked in, you saw the words on the wall. Um, this is just naming what's already here at the North Canton Chapel. And so I hope today as we walk through this, this is affirming for you. So connection follows direction. I'm going to invite you to go ahead. We're going to walk through six distinctives or six cultural defining elements of who we are as a church. The first one is focus. Focus. I'm going to read this really quick. In a world full of distractions and divisions perceptions and preferences, we want to be clear. The gospel matters most. We keep the gospel the main thing. As a result, we don't feel the need to be experts on every topic, provide a solution to every problem, or have an opinion on every issue. Instead, we give attention to one message and use our rhythms and spaces to amplify one person, Jesus. Put simply, we narrow our focus so that we can deepen our impact. We strive to build everything on the foundation of Scripture, and Jesus' finished work on the cross. Only Jesus can unite. Only Jesus can save. Only Jesus can give hope to an otherwise hopeless world. Now, there is a reason why we went here first. If we only had one, and we got six of them, but if we only had one, this is it. Here's the scripture I want to point you to for this one. You can write this one down in the margin, or you can journal it down on your phone. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2. Here's what Paul says. For I decided... To know nothing among you except one thing. What is it? Jesus Christ and him crucified. Now, when you think about Paul, like Paul was one of those guys. He was a theologian. He was a lawyer. He was super brilliant. He was one of those guys with like a lot of letters after his name in our world. The guy could have chosen to talk about anything. What did he choose to talk about? One thing. Christ alone. When I was a kid, I played um, Little League Baseball, and there's all these great, like, tips that come up around, like, when you're coaching a kid how to play Little League Baseball, and one is keep your eye on the ball. Anybody ever given that piece of advice? Everybody ever gotten that piece of advice? And it's terrifying, because there you are as this, like, little seven-year-old with, like, wobbly knees. You're standing in the batter's box, and this sphere is coming hurtling at your skull, and you're like, oh, my gosh. Coach says, keep your eye on the ball. I think it's the hardest thing in the world right now for the church to keep its eye on the ball. So last week I was having a conversation with somebody. Um, they were out for coffee and struck up a conversation with this guy. He didn't know who I am or what I do. And um, 
we start to talk and had this conversation, and I learned that he's in sales, and he sells cars. We start talking about that, and he goes, well, what do you do? And I'm like, oh, man. <laughs> and I just go, like, here's where the conversation gets weird, because they all start reviewing, like, how many swear words did I just say in the last, you know? And I said, well, actually, I'm a pastor. And he goes, really? He said, tell me about your church. And so I start talking about this. It was actually really great training for me for this morning. But... And he goes, well, do you guys like hymns or choruses? And I'm like, well, we try and do both. And he's like, oh, that's hard. I'm like, yeah, it's hard. It's really hard. Well, you guys do like this. Tell me about this or this, this or this. And he was like trying to get a feel for who we are. And I kept coming back to the one thing. I'm like, look, we are about Christ and Christ alone. Everything else is secondary. Everything else is secondary. If you're new to North Canton Chapel, we talk about this a lot. There's three divisions. There's dogma, doctrine, and preference. Dogma is the stuff that I would take a bullet for. Christ and Christ alone. Doctrine is all this other stuff that we need to know. We need to have a biblical footing on. Preference is everything else. And there's a lot of it in there. We're not going to be a church that's based on preference. We won't do it. We don't have time for it. A post-nominal Christian culture does not need a church that's based on preference, but on the rock-solid conviction of Christ and Christ alone. That's the gospel, and that's what we're about. So focus. We keep the gospel the main thing. I think you know that. I think that's probably why you're here. Point number two. What's the second piece that kind of makes up who we are? Belonging. This is an interesting one. I want to read this one to you. It says this. We joyfully move toward others because Jesus joyfully moves toward us. Jesus' church is called to be hospitable, to notice, to choose to see. We believe that the church is called to take a genuine interest in others, intentionally pursuing those who aren't here yet. Everyone has a place and a purpose, whether in weekend worship gatherings and conversations with our neighbors or sharing meals in our homes. We announce to others that they are important to God by making space for them. We are committed to being a place where anyone is expected and everyone is seen. And so you can see kind of the summary statement with this one. Everyone has a place and a purpose. I'm going to draw your attention to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 for this one. This one's a hard one, by the way, because in the wake of a very disconnected world, where I'm guessing most of us here don't feel like we belong as much as we did five years ago anywhere, let alone in church. Here's how Paul talks about the church body that God is building. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but what? That the members may have the same care. That word, that the members may have the same care for one another. Anybody want that? Anybody want to believe that somebody deeply cares about you? <laughs> if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. It's this great extended metaphor of the church. I heard a proverb once. It's a Swedish proverb. I'm not Swedish, but I liked it. It says, a sorrow shared is a sorrow halved. A joy shared is a joy doubled. I think that's so true of the church. This vision of a body, this thing that Paul's talking about here, this vision of belonging, this is the most aspirational of all of these six, by the way. This is the hardest one. What I listen to as a pastor, how do I know people have connected to the church? I'll tell you. I'm just kind of give you the little playbook here. I listen for the pronouns people use when they talk about the church. When they say things like, 
yeah, it seems like you, or you guys are, or it seems like you, but when people shift and say, it seems like we, or we really feel, or we really, that little pronoun shift that says, oh my gosh, I belong here. (laughs) Is it perfect? Gosh, no. (laughs) Never perfect, practically. Perfect positionally, imperfect practically. That's the idea of belonging to a church. I want to show you a quick um, word picture to kind of sum this up. There's three spaces that I think you ought to be involved with if you're going to be committed to a church. Some of you have seen this before. It's been a little while, but it's time to re-up this. I think everybody is designed for three spaces in their life. The first one is the one maybe down in the bottom corner. It's a big group of people, like 100 plus. That's what church looks like for some people. That's this room, or for those of you watching online, that's what this looks like. But if this is the only place you experience church, you're 33 and a third percent healthy. You also need that other one, slide over to the house. You need something like 10 to 40. Who's my tribe? Who are my people? Who do I run with? Who do I build rhythms and spaces in my life with? Who actually goes with me? Who are my 10 to 40? Everybody needs one of those. North Kent Chapel's too big of a church for you to know everybody. Drives me crazy as a pastor because I really want to know everybody here and I know I can't do it. You need your 10 to 40. But you also need your 2 to 3. And that little coffee cup up there. You need people who know you. People who you can be gut level honest with. And you know that they're not going to judge you. You can just spill it. We need these three spaces in our life for us to actually flourish spiritually. Now, here's what I want you to see about this. With every one of those comes a little bit of increased risk, right? You don't risk a whole lot coming in here, most of us, because it's big enough in here you can hide. You move to 10 to 40, and you're like, oh, okay, hang on. Like, people are going to be in my house, right? Whenever people come over, we always have like a cleaning session. We like vacuum and scrub and like we do all this thing and like our German shepherd's hair is like all over. So we're like, ah! You get to that two to three though, that's risky. Also with this, another observation just to play with it, the further you move into this, the less programming you can actually have. We can program 90 minutes on Sunday morning. You can kind of program 10 to 40. You can't program that two to three. And so here's the deal. Here's what I want you to do with this. If you want a friend, be a friend. Our world needs us to reach out. You cannot program relationships. Try as you might. That's why we're going to go do a meal together afterward. Just invite somebody over to your house. It's really counterintuitive post-COVID, but it's really necessary. All right, point number three. Let's keep cruising. Story. I love this one. Let me read this one to you. The first Christians were storytellers. They saw themselves in God's larger story of restoration. When they gave a reason for their hope, they talked about what Jesus was doing in their lives, simply and authentically. We celebrate God's incredible work. We value story because we recognize that we are already not yet people. Story shows progress rather than perfection. Story shows that we're on our way, but we're not there yet. We vulnerably share God's ongoing work in our lives, pointing to the one who is perfect and whose presence makes the greatest difference, Jesus. So here's your summary statement for this one. We celebrate God's incredible work. I want to take you to the Gospel of John for this one. I want to look at three people really quick. John chapter 1, verse 40. This is cool. 
One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus, so this is at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. Stop for a second. How'd you like that if like, you were only introduced as your brother's brother? Andrew, poor guy. He's always playing second fiddle. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. So what did Andrew do? He found his own brother, Simon, and he said to him, we found the Messiah. Here's why I bring this up. There would be no Pentecostal preaching Peter if there wasn't for the Andrew introducing. Some of you are Andrews. Some of you are Peters. Hopefully no Judases out there. (laughs) Interesting, though. He just says, I just got to introduce you to this guy. Slide on down a little bit further in the Gospel of John. We see a second story. This comes from John chapter 4, verse 39. This is the woman at the well. You know the story. Jesus has this conversation with her, changes her life. Here's the result of her story. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. Goes on a little bit further. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there two more days. And look what happens. One more verse. And many believed because of his word. Here's this woman. What does she know about Jesus? Does she have her perfect theology? No. More gaps empty than filled. But she just goes, you just got to come meet this guy. Last story, and this is probably one of my favorites. This is Jesus in a healing in, in John chapter 9. He says this, they brought to the Pharisees a man who had formerly been blind. Okay, so Jesus heals this guy, and that was the Sabbath day when Jesus had made mud and opened his eyes. But watch this. So the Pharisees again asked him, how did you receive his sight? And he said, look, he put mud on my eyes and I washed and now I see. I don't know how this works. This is just what happened. But then there's round two. The next section goes like this. So the second time they called the man who'd been born blind, they said to him, come on, dude. Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. Here's what he says. Look, whether he's a sinner, I don't know. One thing I do know is that I was blind and now I see. Here's the point. Everybody in this room has a story. There's no one size fits all. Your story is not like everybody else's story. Jesus is the hero of your story. And you must tell your story. And so there's only two questions for you, and then we're going to move on to the next point. Do you know your story? Where are you on this whole gospel thing? Are you still over here, like in the death darkness side? Like, have you, have you made Jesus your actual Savior? Or are you just sitting around in church? Are you following him? Have you made a personal profession of faith for you? Saying, I trust Christ because that's where your story starts and where his story intersects your story so that your story becomes his story. So do you know your story? And the second, who needs to hear it? Do you have a friend, a family member, a neighbor, somebody that you care about that needs to just hear what Jesus is doing in your life? Do you need to have rock star perfect theology before you can open your mouth? Goodness, no. Those people didn't. There would be no Pentecostal preaching Peter if there wasn't for Andrew the introducer. So story. Number four, flip the page. This one was interesting. In the research that we did, a lot of you guys said, gosh, I love it when our church talks about tough things. Which I said, I'm glad you do. (laughs) But but I want to drill into this a little bit. Courage. Um, Biblical courage is different than just talking about tough things from a stage on Sunday morning. We're going to talk about that a little bit. 
We see our world's greatest challenges as the church's greatest opportunities. We believe the church is called to step into hard conversations with courageous humility and remarkable compassion. We choose to see individuals over issues and people over problems. As a church, we try our best to represent Jesus by taking bold steps toward meaningful initiatives choosing to live in a delicate tension between grace and truth. We try to do hard things well. Quick little aside, there was some debate in our staff when we were kind of massaging these statements a little bit and smithing them out about the word try. Because I think probably like, I don't know, half of us were like, no, take that word try out. Like we do hard things well. And when we came back to it, we said, you know what? We'd rather just take like the softer, like more humble approach and say, look, we're going to try to do this because we're probably going to fail sometimes because we're imperfect. And so we're just going to tell you where our hearts are set, and hopefully you can join us in that. We try to do hard things well. Ephesians chapter 4. We were here just a couple months ago. Here's what courage looks like in the church. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith, knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Why is maturity important? So that... We may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, craftiness, deceitful schemes. Rather, here's courage. Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, build, or makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. The vision that Paul has here, this carried about, tossed, to and fro, winds, schemings. This last week, um, I went out, uh, was it like Saturday morning, I think? Um, my truck had been broken into over the night, just sitting in my driveway. Like, I lock that thing every night, and then the one night, I didn't. Ugh. And so, like, I opened the glove box, and it had been, you know, rummaged through. And they took my little, my little scanner tool that I used to clear the check engine light on my car, right? In my glove box is also a Bible. So I was hoping, I'm like, hey, no, that was still there. <laughs> Nuts. You don't need me to tell you that the world is dark, you don't need me to tell you that like the winds are blowing and things are going crazy. We all know this. That's a small thing. Like you broke into my truck. Okay, so what? You took like five bucks in change. You actually helped me clean out my car. That was really helpful. Here's courage. Courage is not about what happens in this room or what comes out of my mouth or what series we do on Sunday mornings. The church is not called to theoretical courage. The church is called to relational courage. What happens outside those doors? <laughs> That's where courage has to happen. And so all the equipping business that we do here on Sunday morning, like, man, if you love our sermons on Sunday and you love our music and you love your groups, man, that's awesome. This is not the point. Out there is the point. <laughs> And I love what we get to do here, because this is what I'm called to do. But we are all called to make disciples. A post-nominal Christian culture does not need theoretical courage. They need relational courage. Christians who will stand up to the hard, or stand in and for the hard. It's what James talked about when he says, don't just be hearers of the word, but be what? Help me. Doers. I forget what I say on Sundays by Sunday afternoon. You might too. So don't just hear it. Take this thing and let's do it. All right, number five. 
Number five, movements. Let me read this one. This one is probably one of my favorite ones. In a world marked by disconnection, loneliness, and alienation, God calls the church to live differently. We believe God wants people to be truly known in the context of community. People who know us, love us, and point us to Jesus. We move deeper into this community by pursuing, by pursuing kingdom purposes together, becoming a part of a movement that is bigger than any one of us. As the body of Christ, we recognize that an invitation to Jesus also includes a place to belong and a cause to join. Nothing builds disciples like community on mission. I want to give you a quick peek into the window of the early church. You know this. This is one of my favorite, favorite places in Scripture because it's the irreducible core of what it means to be a church. Church before all the lights and even all the songs and like before even the 90-minute message. <clears throat> Was it 90 minutes? Acts chapter 2. Here's what our spiritual great-great-great-great-great-great-grandparents did when they gathered together. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayers. What happened? And awe came upon every soul. Many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. All who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions, their belongings, distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and sincere, or generous hearts, praising God, having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. We can never become too far tethered from that picture of the church. I'm going to show you another picture I saw that was kind of funny. This one struck me. Just let you look at it. I thought that was kind of funny. It's a little wry, it's a little salty, it's a little edgy, but I really appreciated it. Now, is this picture wrong? No, it's just incomplete. When I look at Acts chapter 2, what I see is people living together. They're having meals together. All these like very informal things. You can't program. It's just like, let's just start to do the thing. In a post-COVID world, our momentum and inertia in every space in our life just went, everything stopped. Maybe if you're here and you're in a community group, like you stopped meeting during COVID, that's our story. And it's so hard to reignite that engine, isn't it? That's the story of our life, right? And so again, what we're looking for is movement. Nothing builds disciples like a community on mission together. It doesn't happen when we're just filling in blanks and binders behind a desk somewhere. Maybe part of the picture, but it's not the whole thing. You want to make disciples, I'm going to give you three questions. So here's, here's just like a freebie for me. You can take this one out of here today. This is something you could use today. You do not need to have read every commentary or every book that's ever been out there. You need to know what you believe. You need to know why you believe it. But three questions to make disciples. If you have coffee with me, these are probably questions I'm asking you. First, what is God teaching you? Second, what are you going to do about it? Three, how can I encourage you in that? What's God teaching you? Assuming you're in the word, you're praying. What's God teaching you? What are you going to do about it? Okay, so he says you've got to be a better father or to lean in with your kids a little bit more. Okay, what are you actually going to do? And then how can I encourage you in that? Very basic discipleship, not complicated. Number six, and then we'll talk about where we're going to go with this. Legacy. Legacy. 
We give generously to others because God gave generously to us. As followers of Jesus, we eagerly give our time, our talents, our treasures to opportunities that are bigger than us, investing in people who will outlive us. That last phrase is huge. Generosity takes many forms, often deeper than dollars. We're also called to relational generosity, asking two questions. Please get this. Who's pouring into me and who am I pouring myself into? We give our lives to what outlives us. By being willing to grow and willing to give, we look past ourselves, intentionally stewarding a vibrant legacy of faith. One of the last scenes of Paul's life, really, he's talking things through and he looks at what is going to happen after he leaves this world. It comes in Acts chapter 20. I'm just going to give you one verse because it's such a powerful verse. Here's what he says. I do not account my life of any value. I mean, you stop right there. Go, wow. Nor is precious to myself. Like, I don't even want this. This doesn't even matter to me. And he says, if only, and you're like, okay, if only what? What's your thing, Paul? That I could finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus. What's that? What is it? To testify to the gospel of the grace of God. He's like, I am giving my life to one idea, the expansion of the kingdom because of the Son. I was talking with uh, Dave Short, who's our executive pastor here. We were talking this last week. There is a massive difference, isn't there, between like just apathy and surrender. Saying, I don't care, versus here, Lord. Between spending your life on things that will pass and rust and die and fade, spending your life and investing your life. And so those two questions in there, I want to direct your attention to them. Who's pouring into me and who am I pouring myself into? So, thank you for indulging me and listening to my docent tones as we walk through this stuff. Where do we go with this thing? So, we want to just be really clear what's under the hood. What's the engine that drives this church? And hopefully, as we walk through this stuff, for you, you're just going, yeah, that kind of feels about right. (laughs) Hopefully, that feels encouraging. This is the baseline. These are the cultural clarifications. These are the things that we are about. If connection drives direction, I want to encourage you, connect with this thinking. This is who we are, and this is what we love. This is going to help form where we're going to go in the coming years as a church. I'm glad that you're here. It's going to be a very, very good journey. So we're going to close in just a moment. I know this felt like a lot. I was timing myself this week. I'm like, there's no way I'm going to get through all this. (laughs) That's why it's in a book. I want to close by singing just a quick song together. And so band, if you guys want to come on out. This is one of those songs, again, that's like, it's right on the line between like old hymn and modern chorus. And it fits this thing really, really well. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. (laughs) Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. This is the gospel. And so as the band plays, I want to encourage you. If you came in here today and you go, yeah, all right, I'm ready to talk to somebody about Jesus. I can tell this is a big deal around here and I'm not getting away from it. If that's you, I want to invite you. There's a red table at the back. You can just go talk with somebody and the rest of us are standing and singing and the lights are low. It'd be a great opportunity just to say, what do I need to do to make sure that I'm actually saved? Because whether this is your church or not, my main hope for you, whether you're here in the building or you're watching online, my main hope for you 
is that if your life was requested of you today that you know where you're spending eternity? Do you? Let me pray. Lord, we say thank you so much just for the wonder of your gospel. Say thank you so much that you've done all the heavy lifting so we don't have to impress you. We don't have to try and do good things. We don't have to wonder. Lord, we just say thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this episode of the North Canton Chapel Podcast. If this ministry has blessed you in any way, please share this episode with your friends or spread the word on social media. If you subscribe and leave a five-star review, it goes a long way to helping us make much of Jesus every day to everyone who hears these podcast episodes. You can also donate to this ministry at ncchapel.com forward slash give. Thanks again for joining us. May you go out into your places and spaces, making much of Jesus every day to everyone.